Remember the good old days before Microsoft Word had autosave? You'd type up some important document and then your computer would freeze and you'd lose hours of work just because you forgot to hit save? Well, that's what it's like going online without ExpressVPN. Every time you're connected to an unencrypted network, whether it's in an airport, a hotel, a cafe, or anywhere, your online data is not secure. Any person on that same network who knows what they're doing can gain access to your personal data. Bank logins, credit card details, passwords, all the stuff you don't want people seeing. Unfortunately, hacking has become much easier than it used to be. People don't even have to be exceptionally skilled to do it, and there's a lot of money to be made by selling your information on the dark web. ExpressVPN stops hackers from stealing your data by creating a secure, encrypted tunnel between your device and the internet. It's incredibly easy to use. Once the app is running, you literally click one button to get protected. And it works on your phone, laptop, tablet, and more, so you can stay protected on the go. I've been using ExpressVPN for a little while now, and I can rest easy knowing my info is safe and secure. I've heard horror stories of people who've been hacked, and it sounds like a massive pain to try to get any resolution in the aftermath, so I am not interested in finding out what that process is like. Secure your online data today by visiting expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash slashfilm, and you can get an extra three months free. expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily for Thursday, February 10th, 2022. On today's episode of the show, we are going to have a mini water cooler episode and talk about what we've been up to. My name is Ben Pearson. I'm an editor at SlashFilm.com, and I'm joined on today's episode by Slash Film editor, Kwai Chen Bui. Hey, everyone. HJ, how are you? It's been a while since you and I have been on a podcast it together. It has been a while. It's been, I don't know, a month or so. You've been getting all these newfangled people on, and I feel like <laughs> I've been left out to the dust. Well, I, I that was certainly not my intention, and uh, hopefully you will turn from a pile of dust back into your full-blown self here uh, as we jump back into the water cooler. So, um, oh, I guess before we start, I wanted to make a quick correction to a podcast uh, episode that I did with Shania about the Oscars uh, earlier this week. At one point, I said that the way that people, that Academy voters watch these movies is through DVDs that they get sent, and then all they're all piled up in their living rooms, and they choose what they're going to watch. That's actually not how they do things anymore. I think within the last year or two, uh, the Academy switched over to, they have their own streaming service for Academy members now. Um, so I discovered that after uh, recording that podcast, and I was like, oh, I should probably throw that out there just in case anybody cares about the inner workings of the academy but uh okay so with that correction out of the way um hd let's let's kick things off what have you been doing recently well uh last week was lunar new year the first of february actually and i did a sort of small celebration with my roommate uh she's also my cousin so we both celebrated and we just made a small vietnamese uh lunar new year dinner uh and um a couple dishes that we you know grew up eating on Lunar New Year specifically. So that was nice. We didn't do anything crazy just because, you know, gestures at everything. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But that was a good way to start off February, um, which is a a month in which I'm being sent into a bit of an existential spiral because... (laughs) Why is that? I'm going to be turning 30 at the end of this month. Oh, HT. You you young, young child. I'm going to die. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. So how are you feeling about that? I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I, I mean, it's just it's a lot's happening right now. My friends are all getting married. I am leaving my 20s behind. I feel like my youth has been misspent of just 
doing puzzles. I don't really know. <laughs> but although I, as I was, I was watching Columbo and doing a puzzle and drinking wine the other day, I'm like, maybe I deserve to turn 30. <laughs> maybe this is where I'm at right now. Well, soak it up because, uh, I mean, it's still, it's, it's a great time. And, um, you know, I, I'm in that phase now where I turned, what was I, I think 36. I, I'm like, I've lost, that's where I am, HT. I've lost count of how old I am. Like, I, I think I turned 36 in September. So I'm like justifying like, oh, I'm still in my mid thirties. Cause anything, you know, 34 to 36 is still technically in the middle of that group. So I haven't gone into my late thirties yet. So, uh, you know, just prepare for new rounds of justification, whatever you need to do to make yourself feel good. That's what okay. it's all about. Great. Well, anyways, I was tweeting about my um, existential despair and someone responded saying, have you seen company? And I said, ironically, I'm seeing company this week. Uh, this week being yesterday, I saw company on Broadway. That's the Stephen Sondheim musical that was created in the 1970s and then saw a revival in the 2000s and recently uh, saw a gender swapped revival. So this is a, a version of company which stars a woman instead of a man as it did in the original version. And it's about a, a woman now who is who turns 35 and um, is kind of faced with all of her friends who are married or in uh, long-term relationships and they're asking her when she's going to get married and she starts to uh, kind of go through this whole personal journey where she decides she wants to get married and then she decides she doesn't want to get married just for the sake of being married. It's a big, it's a, it's such an interesting musical. It's my first time watching it because it really has no plot. It's just a series of vignettes based around this one person's mindset. And it's very, very just existential as a, a musical. Uh, great musical. Uh, songs that I recognized because Adam Driver sang Being Alive in Marriage Story. And I was like, ah, I know that song. Yeah. <laughs> and I got to see Patti LaPone sing Lady to Lunch. I didn't even know she was in this uh, staging, which is just to show how how like up to date I am with Broadway. <laughs> um, but it was great just seeing her perform in front of me. So that was it was a great night. That's awesome. Yeah, I've I've never seen that show, and I think the the Adam Driver thing is my only exposure to it as well. So, um, yeah, maybe uh, maybe one day when uh, you know, as you mentioned, gestures at everything, maybe one when things uh, calm down a little bit. But um, all right, I guess let's transition into what we've been reading. There's one book that I read um, not too long ago called Hex that Jacob actually recommended on an earlier episode of the podcast. So I won't go too long on this, but he well. I'll just say it's about a uh, a small New England town where everyone in the town is basically trapped there because there is a witch in the town and the people of this of this small town have sort of learned to live with this witch. She sort of like teleports all over the place and so at any point she could just like show up in your living room and the people have an app to track her all over the town to figure out you know, where she is and, and what's going on. And as long as you don't make contact with her, um, you don't like physically touch her or antagonize her in any way, uh, everything's mostly fine. So um, these people have just sort of learned to live with this uh, bizarre presence and ancient presence in their lives. Uh, and then it's the, the sort of main action of the book uh, kicks in when a, a group of teenagers sort of decide like, hey, we don't want to be, um, you know, uh, restricted in, uh, these boundaries of like having to live within the, the boundaries of this small town. We want to like get out there and sort of experience the world and, and um, what happens after that. And, and uh, things go very, very, very wrong. So uh, it's a horror novel, which I don't really read too many horror novels, but Jacob's description of it 
um, was so intriguing that I decided to check it out. And I'm glad that I did. Uh, I'm very curious if this actually gets adapted into a, a show or a movie. Um, it looks like Warner Brothers has the rights to it. And I would love to see what somebody does with it because uh, it, it gets real wild um, at the end. So uh, yeah, like I, I don't want to give away too much, but like if you remember the church scene from um, from the first Kingsman, the Secret Service. Oh, uh, wow. It, so it gets that. that yeah, like that it, it goes funny. there kind of <laughs> at the very end. So uh, yeah, it, there's there's a, <laughs> a lot of interesting stuff uh, that happens in this book. So it's called Hex. If you want to check that out, I'd recommend it. Um, Aishi, you've also been reading some stuff. Yeah, so I've been keeping up with my book of the month, and my book of the month for uh, February was Fiona and Jane, which is uh, written by Jean Chen Ho. I think I actually follow her on Twitter. She's uh, an essayist, that kind of a writer who I, I've seen a lot of her works. And Fiona and Jane is a, a sort of coming-of-age uh, anthology book about these two girls who are our best friends, um, and they're both Taiwanese American um, and uh, kind of growing up in California in the 90s and um, but both come from vastly different walks of life and uh, we kind of pick up throughout their lives as they uh, go through their teenhood. One uh, comes to terms with her sexuality. Uh, one uh, goes through various abusive relationships. One uh, has a gives up her um, has like ideas of a writing career but never pursues it, that kind of thing. It's very sweet and wistful and just kind of, um, you know, kind of like that coming of age type of anthology, uh, sort of thinly structured between amongst like these two characters, but mostly just like snapshots of their lives. Uh, a really lovely book. I breeze through it. It's a really great, really um, engaging read. And uh, I highly recommend it if you want, like to read any sort of coming of age uh female female led or minority led um books fiona oh. and jane by jean chen ho awesome that sounds great uh then there's another book too right yes i also read the vanishing half by Britt bennett and i think that you'd actually quite like this one ben so this one uh tells the story of two twin girls who come from a small town called mallard uh growing up in 1960s america and mallard is a special town because it can't be found on a map but it's also a town where strictly light-skinned um, black people live. And they are so, a, lot, a lot of them are so light-skinned that they can pass as white. And these two girls eventually leave this town, go to New Orleans, and one uh, marries a, a very dark black man, and another one starts to pass as white. And uh, they separate, basically, and go off in their own lives. And um, the, the, one, the one who marries the black man... Go, ends up back in Mallard and tries to find her white passing sister. Um, and she never, she, has, she doesn't for like decades. And it kind of follows them throughout uh, these decades and figuring out what they've been doing and kind of the, these identities that they formed and how they're formed by their identities. Uh, really, really great book. Uh, of course, you will be reminded of Passing, uh, the recent Rebecca Hall directed film mm -hmm. uh, starring Tessa Thompson and Ruth Nega. That was also based on a book. Uh, this is a more recent one. So um, it's, but it also is. Uh, so it goes like from the 60s to the 80s and has like such an interesting sort of cultural uh, shift. Um, and it's a really, really great book. Another one that I just completely be breeze through because it's just so well written and the prose is just so uh, wonderful to read. So that's The Vanishing Half 
by Britt Bennett. Highly, highly recommend this one. Yeah, I'm adding that to my list right now. That sounds great. Uh, okay, so what we've been watching, Ishta, you and I had the chance to see uh, a few things, but we, one thing, we have one piece of crossover, and that is the new romantic comedy called Marry Me that stars <laughs> Jennifer Lopez and Owen Wilson. I um, saw that you put this on the dock, and I was like, I, I was kind of perplexed. I was like, why did he watch this movie? I watched it because I reviewed it. You can be on SlashFilm.com. But um, um, tell me, Ben, what was the process when you uh, got the invite for the screener for this movie? Well, you know, I think in my younger, um, more ignorant days, I, I sort of bristled against romantic comedies. I just fell into like stereotypical gender norm bullshit, frankly. And uh, and I was kind of like, oh, those are girl movies. I don't care. But over the past, I don't know, however, several years now, uh, I've grown to to quite appreciate uh, the romantic comedy for for um, what it is and and like you know movies like set it up and there was that whole period where Netflix seemed to be sort of reclaiming the rom-com and I really enjoyed set it up and uh, I mean you know there have been exceptions when Harry met Sally um, a lot of the Tom Hanks Meg Ryan stuff that I've always like grown up enjoying and appreciating but um, I, I feel like I've I've uh, grown fonder of romantic comedies in recent years and and can have fun with them in the right circumstances and uh, a lot of I love movie stars and I love chemistry and those when done right that's what uh, the rom-com can provide in a great way and yeah. um, the rom-com I, shouldn't be an uh, a an ulterior not ulterior uh subpar it yeah. shouldn't be considered a subpar genre it it traces its roots back back to the screwball comedy which is one of the the pillars of classic hollywood so yeah there. and as as my um as my sort of film history cont- uh, continues to grow and and i my, myself have like gone back into you know those movies from the 30s and whatever and and sort of uh explored a little bit more of that i i can see the the line, you know, from those movies all the way up into like the classic uh, rom-coms of the nineties and stuff. So I think I, it just sort of deepens my appreciation for, um, for the entire genre. So yeah, when I saw that, I was like, you know, I, I I saw the trailer for marry me and looked ludicrous to be honest (laughs) with you, but I like, I think Jennifer Lopez and Owen Wilson are both like really charismatic people under the right circumstances when they have the right material. So that's why I watched it. I was just like, you know, this is probably not going to be a great movie, but maybe it'll be uh, a surprisingly, um, you know, endearing one that has like great performances and good chemistry. So I was like excited to watch it. Uh, I, I came away completely baffled by this. HD. I, I just, I, I could not get into it. I, um, I like, you know, logically it makes almost no sense. Uh, you know, the, the decisions that these characters make and, and the, the relationships that form. Um, there are so many questions. I, I feel like my wife and I spent you know, like the, the runtime of the movie just like, talking about this afterwards, like raising all of these questions about like, okay, so if this happened, then what, why did this person do this? And like, what on earth is going on here? What sort of weird alternate reality are these people living in? But uh, what did you think about it? Well, let me first preface this by saying, this is not a good movie. <laughs> it's a very dumb, very silly, kind of poorly made movie. That being said, I had a blast watching this wow. for all the reasons that you said because it's completely <laughs> ludicrous. Every decision is like a decision made by an alien. Yes. Every, everyone seems to be in a different movie. Uh, scenes suddenly end and only start and jump suddenly to another character's plot line and you have to scramble to find out the connecting tissue. Yes. Um, half the movie is, is made in montage. The other half is made through screens. 
<laughs> ridiculous movie. Um, Owen Wilson seems to have broken his nose even more. And also, uh, I don't want to, to comment too much on his uh, looks, but his face looks waxier than he has in his most recent appearances in movies like The French Dispatch or um, – uh, TV series like Loki, and my theory is that because he's you know he's gonna be he's gonna be in a J Lo movie, his the J Lo team was like that's not good enough, and they gave him like a J Lo ready makeover, and he looks kind of like this uncanny valley version of himself. I think the lighting doesn't help either. Mm-hmm, the lighting mm-hmm. in this movie is super weird. Like there's this one scene where they're standing in this like brick apartment, you know, brick walled apartment or whatever, and the light is just pouring in from this giant window, and like everyone is sort of. Uh, yeah, there's this haze to it, and like the the um, camera is out of focus for a lot of it. And I don't know if you noticed, but there's a lot of um, of like fisheye lenses used yeah, in this movie. Yeah, weird amount of fisheye lenses on like just basic wide shots. Yes, and I was like, what's happening? Why are there fisheye lenses being used here? Are they trying to just completely um, disorient us? Yeah, my wife had a really great point about this. Like the the smartest thing, I, I mean, she said like if all of the fisheye stuff came from the Jennifer Lopez character's perspective, then it would kind of feel like she is a gold, you know, in this goldfish bowl of like this distorted mm, perspective this reality. For that. And, and, yeah, it's absolutely not doing that at all. Like the all of the distortion comes when like Owen Wilson's character is a is a math teacher at like an elementary school. And it's like just random shots of like him That's teaching the, the class yeah. and like one kid on the far side of the frame will be, will look like the letter C so distorted <laughs> because of the fisheye. I just, I'm completely baffled at the craft of this movie. Do you know what this movie made me think of? It made hmm. me think of a Super Bowl commercial. It felt like those Super Bowl, Super Bowl commercials where they just like get a bunch of starry celebrities uh, to do a movie parody, um, but there's no joke. <laughs> Yeah, it really did feel like that. Um, and yet, it also felt like a throwback to the early aughts rom-coms. In a way, I found comforting. I basically, when I got my screener, I gathered all my friends in my neighborhood, and we got a, bottle, a, bu- a bunch of bottles of wine and drank while watching it. I think that lent to my experience. <laughs> we were all just like, we were barely even actually paying attention to the dialogue. We were just laughing the entire time. So I think that's the best way. To enjoy Marry Me, a very very silly movie where actually I think Owen Wilson is kind of kind of the MVP because I still found him really really charming, and I was like if you know Jennifer Lopez wasn't like walking around with Vitamix in her hand half the time, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and being like this is a Vitamix commercial, which really felt like um, I think he would be so so good in more rom coms. He should be in more rom coms. He's so like you know ah shucks charming. I, yeah. I thought he was really fun to watch. Uh, J Lo looks great. <laughs> You know, lots of outfits, beautiful mm-hmm. gowns. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, the scenes where the two of them are together and like all of the apparatus around her pop star character is like disappears and it's just the two of them connecting, I think are the movie's best scenes. But there aren't really that many of those moments in the movie, which is kind of unfortunate. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just, it's such a strange movie. I actually wish it was weirder. I wish it was like so bonkers that it was like uh, Wild Mountain Time, that yeah. Jamie Dornan, uh, Emily Blunt movie where like there's a twist in that film that is like so insane that that you walk away going like, oh my God, you've got to see this thing because it's it really goes there. And this movie is just sort of, uh, it, it doesn't have anything nearly that strange, but it's such a strange experience to watch this. It's a strange experience. Yeah, they could have gone weirder. Um, but I think it was just weird enough for me because 
what an odd pairing, first of all, Jennifer Lopez and Owen Wilson is. And I could never get over that the entire time. <laughs> yeah. It still felt uh, like they were in different movies. Yeah. Before we move on, there's one moment that I have to call out here that I have to just ask you about because you're the only other human being that I've spoken with about this other than my wife. So there's this scene where the two of them are walking down the sidewalk and I don't remember what happens. I think they're they're walking Owen Wilson's dog maybe. And like the end of the scene comes and they just look at each other and they both say the word Zoom mates. And then it cuts to one of those montages that you mentioned. And like my wife and I both like, like we paused the movie and looked at each other and we're like, did we miss something? Was, was something edited out of this? And like, I don't know if what we saw was the final cut of the film. I assume it was because this movie comes out like this week. Uh, Sometimes they'll send screeners with like visual effects unfinished or whatever. This did not seem like that at all. So there was never a mention of what the hell they were talking about. They both just looked <laughs> at each other and said this word that's not really a word. Uh, I don't know. I just yeah. didn't know if if you clocked that moment. You were probably just like laughing was, and, and I, yeah, drinking. Yeah, I actually friends, didn't catch that line at all. <laughs> it's so, so weird. So anyway, uh, I just had to to bring that up. But um, what else have you been watching? It? Okay. Um, better things that I've been watching. Uh, I wa- I've been watching Yellow Jackets, the Showtime cannibal – a uh, mystery show that was all the buzz a couple of weeks ago. I totally missed it. And I'll, now that the entire seri- season is out um, and my friend has showtime because I do not, I've been going over to her house and um, her apartment and we've been watching it together. And I'm only four episodes in, but I'm really, really loving this show. So this is a mystery series. It takes place both in the 90s and in contemporary times. And in the 90s, a soccer team, a girl soccer team, is taking a plane trip to like regionals or nationals or something. Um, And their plane crashes in the middle of nowhere on some um, cold mountain, I think in Canada, I don't remember where. Um, And they... Uh, are lost. There's no one, no one has found them. And it's implied by this very gruesome opening scene that they had eventually turned to cannibalism. And um, it's very eerie. It's very, very um, just compelling and the and striking. And um, as the the past flashbacks move go on, we see the the survivors of this crash. We don't see all of them, but the ones that we pick up on um, are sort of still dealing with the trauma of it. And there is an ongoing mystery of this symbol that has been sent to all of them that was also present during their time on the mountain. And uh, they're trying to figure out who sent that symbol and uh, what who is, I guess, trying to bring them all back together. It's a great show. Um, it reminds me of Lost meets Hannibal meets Pretty Little Liars is the best hmm. way of describing it. It has the the mysteries and the suspense and the character-driven episodes of Lost, some of the more gruesome um, uh, supernatural elements or, or like even just sort of morbid elements of Hannibal and uh, that ongoing mystery of Pretty Little Liars. So – uh, I think you would actually really enjoy it then. I've heard so many good things, especially like BJ on our site, new writer on our site, relatively new writer on our site, uh, has been like banging the drums so hard for this. And and yeah, I've heard great things about it. I just don't have showtime, but I think I'm going to finally break down and just like get it for a month and binge the whole thing and see 
uh, what else Showtime has to offer because they have the, that that um, Bill Cosby documentary that I've already seen, but is really good. So I know, I know they have like some good stuff on that network, but uh, I just am I'm not subscribed. But um, yeah, Yellow Jackets is definitely like at the top of my list the second I, I get access to it. Yeah, definitely check it out. Uh, other things I've been watching. I watched The Worst Person in the World. I also reviewed it for Slash Film. We can check out the review on the website. I won't go too long on it, but I adored this film. Um, I wasn't as head over heels for it as I think the rest of the critical world is, but I really, really like that it's this like snapshot of millennial ennui and unrest in a way that uh, is just really honest and really fun and stylish and um, also really fragile and wonderful. And uh, I think that the central performance uh, by oh, I'm forgetting her name, Renee something, um, is just fantastic. Uh, as well as the performance by – okay, hold on. I have all the names. Yeah, I think it's I think it's Renata Rensvey. Renata Rensvey, yeah. Um, and then what is it, Anders? Uh... Yeah, Renata Rensvey and uh, Anders Danielson-Lee as the older boyfriend. He is phenomenal. My God. He has, I think, like the most – heart-wrenching scene of the entire film. He's kind of the part where the whole movie sort of comes together and clicks for me um, in a way that just I felt like it's just so wistful and melancholy. And I absolutely just um, was so touched by his performance and everything that kind of came out of it. Um, yeah, excellent movie. I kind of joked that it's basically this the most wistful depiction of pretty privilege, which is kind of true. Ren- Renata Renzve is just like, really really gorgeous uh also looks very much like dakota johnson <laughs> I, I like the half the time i was like wow she really looks like dakota johnson if they ever do an american remake which they probably will dakota johnson would actually do a really excellent job out of this yeah. role too because yeah, she <laughs> she's also a phenomenal actress and i think would really nail this particular particular nuances of this uh titular worst person in the world uh quote unquote so uh worst person in the world great movie Good movie. Yeah, I uh, man, it's it's so good. I um I think her performance, her her lead performance in this movie was the best, the, the single best performance I saw in all of 2021. So um yeah, it's I I agree with you that I'm not like head over heels in the same way that a lot of the critical community is. I I really liked the movie a lot, but I loved her performance in it. Yeah. So um it's definitely worth watching for her alone. So uh, worst person in the world. I'll also link to your review in the show notes too. So um what else have you been watching, Ishi? I watched for the first time The Life Aquatic with Steve Zissou. Uh, well, this is one of my Wes Anderson blind spots. And I was really pleasantly surprised by this one. I, I've always been a fan of Wes Anderson. Um, the Royal Tenenbaums Bombs is one of my favorites and kind of continues to be the standard by which I hold a lot of his films and a lot of his more recent films too. Um, and I, I especially like sort of like that um, artificial dollhouse uh, aesthetic of it, um, while still being extremely deep and, uh, you know, emotionally layered. Uh, but the life aquatic with Steve Zissou, I was quite surprised to see it was, it had its, uh, a foot in reality, which I also really liked while it still had all of the stylistic flares that you expect in a Wes Anderson movie. It also felt much more grounded and, um, natural, uh, and organic than a lot of his other films. And I, I really, really enjoyed that. Uh, Bill Murray, excellent in the lead role. Uh, Owen Wilson, also great. <laughs> um, and uh, I uh, I absolutely love this one. Honestly, I, the more I think about it, the higher in my esteem of Wes Anderson movies it gets. I think it, I really, really liked um, The Life of Aquatic with Steve Cisu and just kind of 
moved me a lot, despite being uh, somewhat on the simpler side. I just found the emotional depth to to be really, really rewarding. Man, I don't remember much about this movie. I haven't seen it since it came out. Um, I remember thinking like that I was I was pretty lukewarm on it at the time, and I remember now like Bill Murray staring down a giant fish or a shark or something like mm-hmm. that. But like I, I have like I'm due for a rewatch, basically. So uh, it's it's been so long. I need to check that one out again. Um, and <laughs> it looks like you also uh, finally dipped your toe into one of the most prestigious uh, television and film franchises of all time. Yes, that is Jackass. <laughs> My name is Hai Chen Bui, and welcome to Jackass. I have never seen a Jackass TV show, clip, movie in my life. And it was my friend's birthday. We were doing a movie night. We watched Hard Boiled, which I'd already seen, but was very excited to watch again because he had a special Hong Kong Blu-ray of it. And then afterwards, we were like, what, do we, what should we watch next? Should we watch another Hong Kong action film? And he's like, let's watch Jackass. <laughs> so, so what exactly did you watch? The show, a movie? We what? watched Jackass 2. Uh, which I heard is actually the meanest and nastiest of all the jackasses. So what a welcome it was. I was extremely uncomfortable the entire time. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Yeah, that's all I can say. It was was hard to watch. Um, I appreciate everything that they've done for us. Um, I really, really liked the final sequence, the dance sequence that they did. I thought that was a really clever sort of homage to the stuntmen of Hollywood past and how they're kind of carrying all that torch, but doing it in much stupider ways. Um, very tongue in cheek, <laughs> but also very classy. Uh, so I like that. Everything else is just like, there's, there's so many more balls and ass than I thought there would be in this movie. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh man. I remember seeing Jackass 3 in 3D in theaters in 2010 or 2011, whenever that came out. And, um, like nearly vomiting in the theater because of what I saw was just so uh, repulsive. <laughs> they do like some, it's not like, I guess body horror is technically what it is. Cause it's just like horrific things that they do with each other's bodies and like sweat and vomit. And it's just uh, like the gross out stuff is so disturbing to me on a fundamental core level. The, the um, stunts and, and uh, you know, all of that, I could watch that all day, but the uh, it's when they like really lean into the gross out stuff that I, I just sort of like uh, my body shrivels up from the inside out and I like feel like I'm going to throw up. So yeah, yeah. Um, I don't know. I'm, maybe I'll wait for the new Jackass movie and watch it on VOD or something and just like fast forward whenever anything super we gross happens. But. A lot of writers on staff were really, really passionate about Jackass, which made me kind of more open to watching it. It's mm-hmm. not my thing but I'm really happy for everyone whose thing it is. Yeah, definitely. Uh, Okay, so I just have two things that I want to mention that I've been watching. Um, I finished the first season of The Sex Lives of of College Girls, which is on HBO Max. It's um, co-created by Mindy Kaling. And uh, I really like the show a lot. I think um, the first couple episodes, it sort of felt uh, a little bit... um, maybe like flimsier uh it's i think it was funnier at the in the very beginning uh and then like the plot sort of kicks in and like all you get to know these characters a little bit better and like you really sort of latch in on all of their different uh converging plot lines or or separate plot lines and um and the show i think gets more mature as it goes along and less like uh, a little less goofy a little less funny it starts to deal with like some real real shit um but all with this sort of gloss of um, of like a, a comedic drama. Nothing ever gets like too, too heavy. Um, 
there's some serious stuff that happens in it, but it, it always feels like everything's going to be okay for these characters. So uh, if you're like looking for something that's relatively lighthearted, has some good humor in it, um, but also is like a, uh, you know, it feels like a, a good, um, maybe not realistic f- fully, but, uh, but like a, a really modern, fresh, um, uh, yeah, college comedy, uh, the sex lives of, of college girls. It's definitely worth checking out. Have you had a chance to see any of this I yet? I haven't. I will need to get around to it. I know I love Mindy Kaling, so um, and I've been her staunchest defender for a long time. So I need to get around to it eventually. Yeah, I think you'll like it. Uh, and then finally, I watched uh, Princess Mononoke. Which, <gasps> Yay! Um, okay. Yeah, the uh, <laughs> I'm I'm slowly making my way through the Miyazaki catalog, and um, and yeah, I, I finally landed on this one. I think I had seen this when I was a child and just did not understand it. Maybe I'd only seen half of it or something. I Watching it now after seeing... I, I'm watching um, Miyazaki's movies in order. So um, after seeing, you know, Castle in the Sky and Porco Rosso and like uh, some of these other movies, I, I sort of felt like I had a good grasp of what what kind of filmmaker he was. And then Princess Mononoke comes along and it's like, whoa, this is a uh, very, di- I mean, it, it, in some ways it's the same, but in some ways it's very different, right? It's like, it has this epic scope to it and that like none of his other movies that I've seen so far have. It's definitely um, the darkest that he's done since yeah. Nausicaa and the Valley of the, of the Valley of the Wind. Yeah. And I even that like, had yeah. like a, a little bit more of a lighthearted kind of vibe to it. And this movie just, it feels like super serious and, um, and like, uh, I don't know, I, I, w- I was shocked at the the level of violence in it. Not that it's like the goriest movie I've ever seen or anything like I mean, that. Or even the, the goriest. And yeah. lots of people's getting, people getting their arms chopped off. So. Yeah, and this stuff happens a lot in animation, obviously. But like in Miyazaki stuff, it, seemed, it sort of seemed like he's gone out of his way to not depict a lot of violence in, in his stuff. Like even in Porco Rosso, like the, that's a movie about... Uh, you know, like a World War One f- fighter pilot kind of thing, and there's he show he films like uh, or, or animates rather um, like dog fights that could have been really brutal and really violent, and you know he he sort of steers away from showing a lot of that stuff in that movie, and then in this movie, it's like people are getting yeah decapitated and their limbs are flying off, and it's like whoa, this is I mean that's not all this movie is. There's there's much more going on than that. Um, but, uh, yeah, I was sort of like taken aback because it feels tonally a little bit different than some of the stuff that he'd made before. It has a lot of the same, uh, through lines and like his interests are there in terms of like the, the environmental, the environmental message and everything. But like, um, you know, he's like hung up on airplanes and, and things like that for a lot of his, uh, a lot of his movies. And this is not that this is like an ancient, uh, epic kind of movie. It's a much more complex movie too, especially in the characters. Like Lady Eboshi is one of his best characters i think so complex um because in any other hands she would be depicted as a full-out villain but here she gets to have her own answers and really the only villain is is industrialization yeah yeah (laughs) and she is just another cog in the machine and of course the the emperor and the whole empire being a sort of looming shadow too she's also a victim in that kind of sense and trying to build her own community in the best way she knows how um and a lot of it is through violence so it's the people who are sort of shaped by the industrialization, the culture, and the the larger forces that they cannot control. Great stuff. Love yeah, that that's movie. one of my favorite things about Miyazaki is that like a lot of times his movies will start and you sort of you know or I do anyway raised on a diet of a Western movies, 
I, I pinpoint certain characters and I'm like, oh, okay, this person's going to be the villain. But like, um, you know, in, in uh, Howl's Moving Castle, for example, like this, the, the witch of the, uh, I don't remember what her, the witch of the waste, I think is what mm-hmm. she's called. Um, you know, she starts the movie by casting the spell on uh, the, the main character, Sophie, and like turning her old basically. And, and um, it just sort of feels like, oh, this woman is, uh, you know, the, the, the embodiment of pure evil and then uh her powers get sort of sucked away halfway through and she just becomes like a member of this found family kind of uh setup <laughs> yeah. halfway through and it's like oh this is much more interesting than just the black and white of this person's a hero this person's a villain so for sure um, and i will yeah. say uh regarding the surprising darkness of uh princess mononoke from what i can what i know of Miyazaki at that time in his career, he was already kind of thinking towards retirement, even though that was whatever, 40, 30 years wow. ago. Yeah, and, that was 97, uh, I think. Yeah, and he was like, oh, out. I want to make one last big action epic before, while well, I still can, while I'm still young enough to do that. And that was kind of like him putting all of that into that movie. That's really interesting because I haven't done any research into him at all. I've just been watching the movies in order and I haven't really even been reading much about them or reviews or anything like any sort of a contextualization whatsoever. So to to hear that this was like a kitchen sink movie for him where it's like a I'm putting all my eggs in this basket. I want to do this this last big hurrah. That makes a lot of sense for and, and sort of helps uh, me process what I saw in that movie a lot better. Um, I love that he kept going, obviously, because because uh, I feel like I'm, he can never I'm on stop s- working. <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm on such a, an enjoyable path. I was telling Ryan on a recent water cooler. I just like I was I was trying to get him into watching these movies as well, and just like the the level of quality across all of these. I mean, I ha- I have my personal favorites or whatever. But just the, you know, even in in just the movies that I've seen so far, there's just been a, a consistency that um, is like really, really remarkable to see. So you're gonna get uh, me started talking about this for another hour, Ben, because <laughs> I do know for a fact that Miyazaki's a super, super meticulous um, micromanager for all of his films, and he will do the key animation for a large part of of his films, um, and will at least do the storyboards for everything, and everything is basically like in his design, in his hands, and everyone is just filling in the gaps in between. So he is like throwing all of himself into each and every film. Yeah, you can feel that because these movies are are nothing if not passionate. Um, so great stuff. I highly recommend, uh, you know, diving in and, and sort of going on this journey with me. If you're uh, unfamiliar with his work, it's all of it's sitting right there on HBO Max and Castle of Cagliostro, which is still one of my favorites, uh, is on Netflix still as far as I know. So um, that was his first one. Um, okay. All right. I think I think that'll do it for today's episode, HT. Uh, it was so nice to talk to you. It's been so long. I mean, we talk to each other all day long in, in Slack, but um, you know, there's something nice about stepping away for a second, just chatting about what we've been watching. Talking about so. movies. Yeah, movies. Great stuff. <laughs> okay. So uh, you can find um, uh, HT's reviews of The Worst Person in the World and Marry Me linked in the show notes. I encourage everybody to visit SlashFilm.com. There's a ton of content up there all day, every day. Slash Film Daily is published every weekday, bringing the most exciting news from the world of movies and TV, as well as deeper dives into the great features you can find on the site. You can subscribe to the show on Apple, Google, Overcast, Spotify, all the popular podcast apps, and send your feedback, questions, comments, concerns, and mailbag topics to us at peter at slashfilm.com. Make sure to leave your name and general geographic location in case we mention your email on the air. Don't forget to rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts. Tell your friends, spread the word. Thanks so much for listening, and we will talk to you all tomorrow.